Welcome to Coaching Carrie, the podcast where two lawyers turned life and leadership coaches rewatch Sex in the City and can't help but wonder how would Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte, and Samantha's lives have been different if they just had a coach to help them along? Well, Carrie, it's your turn. We got to hear a little bit about my story. And now it's my turn to ask you all the questions. So let's start like you did with me with the basics. Give me your name and where you're recording from. So my name is Carrie Walsh. I am recording from Union Pier, Southwest Michigan, but this is not my permanent home. This is a weekend house that my husband and I have. We are normally based out of Chicago and more specifically Hyde Park in Chicago. So President Obama's neighborhood. <laughs> it's where we come from. Yeah. Awesome. And let's start with why did you become a lawyer? I'm betting you have a better answer than I did to this one. I was laughing because I don't actually think I have a better answer. <laughs> that makes me feel better. <laughs> I had I grew up in a family of people who very much had a, a view of me as the, the kind of academically capable student, very easy to get good grades, things like that. And and I also had this kind of family image as the arguing child. I, I would argue with my parents about anything at all. And I always thought I was right. So there was this kind of expectation, I think, as I was growing up that I was going to become a lawyer because I was super smart and I always wanted to be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would argue about any, everything. And to be honest, I think that I just integrated that into who I was. It, I'm not sure that I did a lot of thinking during college or any other time about what I wanted to do with my life other than, well, obviously I'll be going to law school. Looking back on it, I don't think I had a great understanding of what lawyers actually did. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, my senior year opened with September 11th. Everyone was going to grad school because there just weren't a ton of jobs when I graduated in early 2002. You know, law school seemed just as good of a choice as any other graduate program. So that's where I headed. And I think it's interesting listening to both of our stories. I think it hits on something important, right? That we're not really empowered or empowering people to really think about what they want to do, right? It's mm-hmm. like, what do you think is going to make you a good paycheck? What do you think is going to be a fit for you? And then let's go do that thing. And so I, I thank you for sharing. So let's talk about how you got from lawyer to coaching. Yeah. So that for me is a little bit more of an interesting story. So in my second job as an attorney, I was actually fired. It was very much a watershed moment for me. And I left that firm thinking that I was a horrible attorney, that not that the firm hadn't been a good fit for me or that some other factors might've been contributing. It was 100% my fault. Bad attorney, never going to practice again. We'll never get another job. So I thought, oh God, I have to find a new like profession. I went to law school and now I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore. So like, what am I going to do with my life? So I really, this was maybe the first time in my life that I had spent some time looking at what careers might actually be something I want to do Mm -hmm. instead of where I just ended up. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I figured out that coaching was a thing that you could get paid for. (laughs) 
Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? But I mean, at that point, I was only, I think, four or five years out of law school. I hadn't, I didn't really have that much experience in the business world or even the legal world. So I just didn't, it didn't feel like the right time, even though it felt like the right path. Mm-hmm. So in an in a very strange turn of events, the very person who fired me from that job recommended me to my next job as an attorney. Mm-hmm. I still don't understand what fully what happened there, but I did eventually get another job as a lawyer and continued to practice. And so I kind of held this idea of becoming a coach for a decade. So I first learned about coaching in 2011. I became a coach in 2020. So for a full decade, I sort of knew that I wanted this to be my second act and eventually made it happen. So that was kind of my path to coaching. I love it. And I know you've talked in other places about that moment that you got fired and what failure really looks like and what failure really means and being willing to own our failure. And so can you say just a little bit about that here? Because I think that's such a powerful message. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, the instinctual reaction was to believe that I was just terrible at my job. And that was the reason that I had failed. And the more distance I got from the event, the more I realized it it's a storm of different factors that lead to failure when it happens. And yes, you might have some role and responsibility. If you failed, you have some role in that. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think it's also unfair to hold ourselves completely responsible for the failures we experience. We also have to like look at this firm actually really was a terrible fit for me. I was really not a good fit for their culture. And I think I knew that actually for a while before I got fired and I just didn't do anything about it. So I actually look at it now as the failure actually wasn't getting fired for me. The failure that I take responsibility for was not acting on the knowing that it wasn't a good fit. And kind of allowing that to ride to the point where I was terminated. So it it made me much more likely to act on my gut feeling like this Mm -hmm. isn't a good fit rather than just sticking around and letting the cards fall where they may. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I've been thinking a lot about failure recently and how if you don't have at least some failure in your life, you're maybe not fully exploring the boundaries of what's possible for you, right? For sure. For sure. You have to be willing to risk it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. So let's shift over to Sex in the City. And let me ask you this. What are three things listeners should know about you to understand your point of view when we're talking about these episodes? Yeah. So I think the first thing that you have to understand about me is that I have really, really, really big feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And for a long time in the early part of my life, I wasn't super comfortable with the fact that I had big feelings. I really kind of worked to keep them under wraps. And then through a lot of self-reflection and work on myself through therapy and other means, I really got comfortable with my big feelings. And that's just part of who I am now. So the, these episodes, I think there are a lot of big feelings flying around. Absolutely. <laughs> there are some really big consequential emotional things that happen in Sex in the City. And I really kind of 
function the same way. I'm very emotional. I'm very like tuned in to the nitty gritty of how I'm feeling about things. So that will certainly come out as we're talking about these episodes. I think by contrast to you, Becky, I dated all the way through my 30s. Yep. So I was single and doing online dating from like age 22 to 30. Yep. And it was not a time that I was super happy in my life. I was not <laughs> I was not a super successful single person in that I really 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 wanted to find a partner. Mm-hmm. And I would also say that a lot of the dating that I did it was pretty toxic, like mm-hmm. just really kind of looking to be chosen instead of finding someone who was a good partner for me and a good match for me. So I had a lot of experience dating and these women really, you know, were partners to me through that period of time. I mean, I watched Sex and the City constantly during my 30s as a crutch, as a shoulder to cry on, as encouragement. So that's all important to know. And then I think the last thing people should know is that, and it's really not the fact of the event, but what it means, which is that I proposed to my husband. He didn't propose to me. And I think the reason that that's important is that it demonstrates how I came out of my dating experience looking at finding love mm-hmm. and partnership. So I made a deal with myself when I turned 30 that I was going to stop dating until conditions improved. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> my conditions improved. I basically meant until I could figure out a way to date where I wasn't feeling like garbage about myself all the time. Yeah. So for three years, I didn't date anybody. I really took that time to work on myself and figure out like, why did I constantly feel bad about myself? Why was I so invested in being chosen as wife instead of seeking out a partner who really fit with me. And I did a ton of work during that time. And then the first date I went on when I came back into commission was my husband. (laughs) (laughs) But I really, even though I felt like I found this great partner, he really is a good match for me. I really felt like I needed to be faithful to who I had become, Mm -hmm. which was someone who was intentional about partnership, who was, I was dating for myself not to be chosen And so I felt like once I decided that I wanted to get married, that was on me. I decided I wanted to get married. So it was up to me to make that happen. And so I decided that it was important to me to ask the question and put myself out there and be vulnerable. And yeah, so we've been married now since September of 2016. So coming up on five years. Awesome. Yeah. So how did you discover Sex in the City and when did you start watching it? So like you, I was a DVD watcher, not VHS, DVD. (laughs) But like I said earlier, my senior year was the 2001-2002 school year. I had studied in France during my junior year. So when I came back, the first two seasons were already out on DVD. And I remember buying those and having them in our apartment I lived with my best gay friend, my Stanford, Mm -hmm. (laughs) my senior year. And so I remember having season one and two on DVD, kind of the whole first part of the year. And then I have a distinct memory of like running out to the store to get season three when it came out in May, because it was like cataclysmic, like, oh my God, there's going to be another season available. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it went. Continued buying the DVDs like the second they came out and continued watching the show, like I said, all through my 30s because 
I was still that single girl. And by that time had moved to Chicago. So Chicago is definitely not New York, but it's a big city. And so it felt comforting to watch the girls. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you what you asked me. Which character do you think you are most similar to? It was a well-known fact during college that I was a Miranda. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, really kind of all through my dating life through my 30s, I think I really was a Miranda because Miranda obviously is the most similar to me. She's got red hair. She's a lawyer. (laughs) Yeah. But I think I also was really tinged by that cynicism that she has because I was dating in a really unhealthy way. And I think that for a long time during the series, Miranda's kind of dating in a somewhat unhealthy way, at least a, a way that's not it's not adding to her as a person. It, it's really just kind of like trying to tack something on that doesn't really fit. Yeah. Yep. And I definitely related to that. But I also sort of didn't want to be a Miranda. <laughs> well, who like, did you want to be? Yeah. Even though I knew I kind of was that way, I didn't really want to be that. And like you, I just thought that Carrie was it. I think it's the style, right? Like for me, it was anyway. Like I think it's something about just always being a little bit, it's the creative part. It's the freedom of expression. It's the lack of being buttoned up that I really thought was cool. And she just had this way of like bumping into men all the time. They just were like (laughs) dying to date her, right? Like, like, oh, there's there's this man making furniture. I'm just going to date him. And oh, there's this, you know, man on the street wearing a suit who knocked over my, you know, purse. I mean, it's, I just felt like she, she had this like carefree, free spirit vibe to her that I really didn't have that I had hoped that I would have. But again, like you, I'm watching it now thinking, thank God I wasn't more. <laughs> she's a little nuts. <laughs> she's yeah. a little nuts. I mean, I do um, think, I do think as life changes, right? Like your perspective changes on mm-hmm. what you're seeing in these. I know my experience, and we we talk about this in some of the episodes, like my experience of these episodes now versus back when watching them a couple decades ago is totally different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that I was coming from a place of toxic dating. Yes. I was looking for validation and affirmation that like I was okay. Yes. And so I think that the neurotic parts of Carrie were kind of comforting to me in that because I was doing kind of the same thing. Sure. And now I look back at it and I think, oh, those probably weren't great choices. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Well, let's shift and I'll ask you one last question. Tell me a little bit about your coaching philosophy and what transformation you hope your clients get from their time with you. Yeah, I think that coaching is such an incredible opportunity to really shift perspective and the way that you look at things. So I really think that my role as a coach is just to help people kind of get out of their own ruts in terms of the way they think. So I kind of sometimes tell people about the brain is always in itself, right? So you can't think without being in your own brain. That's the tool you have to think. So the way your brain thinks is the way your brain always will think, unless there's some catalyst to kind of pop you out and make you think a little bit differently. Yeah. So I really look at coaching as a tool to kind of reframe things, change a perspective, change a point of view, look at things from a different angle. And my greatest wish for all of my clients is, I think it's common to probably every coach, and it's very similar to what you had said, is that 
I hope that every client I work with can step into what I like to call radical authenticity. Mm -hmm. Because this is what I experienced through my own, you know, period of transformation about 10 years ago that I was being this through through my 30s, I was this, or my I'm sorry, through my 20s, I was kind of this version of myself that was like cleaned up and not messy and trying to be as close as possible to the average yeah. in the hopes that you find belonging and companionship as long as you're kind of at the midline. And what I realized through my own path of discovery is that you get the opposite. You feel so distant. And so alienated from most people, unless you are truly being absolutely 100% who you are all the time. So that's my hope for my clients is radical authenticity. I like that. I mean, you know, I like that. And I would just say, do you find, because this is, let me ask it as a question. Do you find that in making that shift for you personally into radical authenticity, you actually freed up a whole bunch of energy that you were using to hold yourself in this container of close to averageness. Yeah. Well, right. And I think that that space that you, you, you spend all that energy kind of holding yourself together, as you put it, which I love that image. That's the space that you can make for other people, right? Mm -hmm. And for those relationships and those experiences, because if you are trying to hold yourself kind of trussed up in this very average version that's palatable to most people, you don't have a ton of space for authentic relationships or real experiences or possibility, opportunity. Those things just don't have a place to sit. So absolutely, for sure, it opens up all kinds of space and, you know, beautiful experience for sure. Yeah. And for me, it's even been, as I've sort of really embraced who I am in a more full way, it's even been the mental space of decision-making, right? I don't have to think about what's the decision that I want to make here. Okay, then how do I dial it into this contained version of me? Like, what's the contained version of the decision I want to make? That's a whole layer of stuff that doesn't need to happen. When I truly know myself and I'm comfortable with myself, I can just know what decision is right for that person. Right. Exactly. And the amazing thing is when you're in that space of being bound up in average, you don't even realize that's going on. No. Mm -mm. You have no sense that you are conditioning all of your decision-making and your experience on this average making calculus. You have no idea it's happening. So just to have literally space blown open (laughs) in your brain, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking this time to share with me and with our listeners a little bit about your story. Uh, thanks for asking all these questions. It's It was really fun to reflect on these things for myself, in addition yeah. to hopefully getting to know our listeners a little bit. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Carrie. I would love to connect with you out in the world at CarrieWalshCoaching.com. There you'll find more information about me, coaching, blog posts, and an opportunity to sign up for my newsletter. Or if you or your company is looking for executive coaching, 
you can check out theatalantagroup.com for more information. That's the A-T-A-L-A-N-T-A group.com. Hey, that's Becky. To connect with me, the easiest way is to head over to my website at untanglehappiness.com. There you can learn more about the services I offer, as well as get additional information about my book, The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to Living What Matters. I look forward to connecting with you.